moving into entrepreneurship to me is sort of like getting yet another degree. So the one thing that I think that we share as academics is we love to learn. So if we approach it that way, like, hey, this is, you know, like this is a new thing that I'm learning, right? It's a different credential. And that's an easier way, I think, to approach that and to begin to have fun. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Today, I have Dr. Christina Hallett on with us, and she is another amazing connection that I actually got through Chris Winfield. He has an event called Unfair Advantage. That is where I met several guests um, that we have had. Mark Cardone is one of them, and Rachel Wright is another, and Dr. Christina Hallett is another. She and I were sitting at the same table, and I know Chris put us at the same table for a reason, because he knew about this podcast and that I would love meeting Christina. So Dr. Hallett... Now, her kind of bio that she provided us, she does a lot. And you're going to love this episode because she really actually does a a lot of coaching on the episode. I learned a lot about um, what she calls being stress smart. Um, Her background um, is in psychology. So she's also an associate professor of psychology. And she's a board certified clinical psychologist. And she's using those skills to actually run an executive coaching business. And she is an author. Um, She has several books out that support that business um, and lead through that business, as well as uh, keynote speaking. So what's really cool about Dr. Hallett is she's basically teaches people about how um, stress can be positive and we should be using it in a positive way. Her and I talk, one of my favorite parts of this interview was uh, her discussion of living small and moving into living big. Um, And this is that idea of she realized that she wasn't doing as much as she thought she could in the world. And so this idea of I would like to expand versus shrink um, or staying safe. And I think a lot of us listening to this podcast, myself included, really resonate with this feeling of what does it look like if I'm bigger, um, if my life is bigger, and I'm doing bigger things. And that's definitely something I've been thinking about this entire time I've been running a business. So tune in for your best, best tips from Dr. Christina Hallett on using the power of positive stress and how to really live life big. Enjoy this one. Hello, everyone, and welcome, Dr. Christina Hallett today. I'm so excited for this conversation. Welcome, welcome, friend. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Um, She, like many other guests on this show, is someone I got to meet in person, actually at the same event that I met Mark Cardone, who we had on, I forget what episode, we'll link to it. Um, But good old Mark is a buddy of ours. And we met him at the Unfair Advantage, uh, which is a Chris Winfield event. And Christina and I were sitting across from each other. And I remember our our circle share that we had about what we did. And um, I just lit up like, yes, I, of course, I have someone awesome at my table, a fellow academic um, who's here with me now. And we get to talk with her. So exciting. I know. I was so excited when we were at the same table. I'm like, wow, really? Somebody else? And Ashley right? Hampton was there too, right? Oh, yeah. Was she at our table? Not at our table, but I think she was Not there at, at that table. event. 
She definitely was. So Ashley has been a guest um, somewhat recently, too. So yes, I, I can't believe I forgot that. I, I knew there was like a herd of you that I found at this event. So Exactly. It was fabulous. Yeah. I'm like, wow, we're not alone, right? We're not alone. No. And we're going to keep collecting more and more. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the plan, at least. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, so, Christina, we like to start Academics Mean Business talking about our academic background, our CV, our dissertation research, all that fun stuff that we never get to talk about on business podcasts. <laughs> so please uh, give us a little bit of your background. Sure. I did my undergraduate in, at Wellesley College. And actually, mm. I was pre-med and a biology major. And I literally added a psychology major on for fun in my ah, junior year because I just really great. thought it was awesome. And then <laughs> I had one of those moments, right? It was my first moment in my life. It's my entire life. Everyone who knew me knew I was going to be a pediatrician, that this was not a surprise mm. to anyone. I volunteered with my pediatrician. When I was five years old, my favorite birthday present was a legit real life first aid kit. It was my dad oh my ran God. recreation <laughs> programs. So he gave me like the blue for metal first aid kit with everything. And back then we used Mercurochrome, you know, to clean off cuts. So I would go around like bandaging up everyone's cuts and scrapes and things like that. Oh my gosh. Right. Totally committed to being a pediatrician. Yeah. So I was in my med school interview and they said to me, so Christina, why do you want to go to medical school? And I had that moment of split mm. consciousness where my mouth kept speaking and said something entirely appropriate. But my yep. brain said, oh, my God. Why do I want to go to medical school? So I was mm. in my second semester of physics. I'd already done organic chem. Literally, you were already taking the MCAS. <laughs> I'd done yeah. everything. I hated mm. physics. And I suddenly mm. thought, oh my God, I hate physics. Like I don't ever want to do anything like this again. I think I'm going to go on in psychology. So uh -oh. I literally finished the conversation walked out of the room, walked across campus, called my parents, I lived about an hour away, and said, hey, it was a Friday. Just so you know, I'm not going to go to med school. I'm going to get my doctorate in psychology. They went, <gasps> we'll yes. be there in an hour. Oh, no. Okay, now yeah. you have to understand, they wanted me to be a lawyer. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> Right. So it wasn't about medical school, but it was like, mm. seriously, you've just mm. spent like whatever, however old I was, 20, mm -hmm. you know, so 18 of my 20 years saying I'm mm -hmm. going to be a pediatrician. They were like, what yep. is wrong with you? So that's where it began. I literally never looked back. I went right wow. from uh, Wellesley to, so I was a double major. Mm -hmm. in biology and psychology, went right to the University of Massachusetts at Amherst in their clinical psych program, got my master's along the way to getting my mm -hmm. uh, PhD. And I, I just loved it. <laughs> I yeah. just, it just made sense. You know, mm -hmm. I had another moment it, when I was in college, actually, I remember talking to one of my psychology professors and we were talking after class and someone else in the class had been asking a question. And I was saying something along the lines of, I'm not even certain why they're asking that question. And I remember my professor saying to me, that's because this makes so much sense to you uh, that you mm -hmm. don't understand what it is they don't understand. Where they're coming from. Yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. So it took me a long time to really make sense of that. Uh, sure. But uh, I took that in and said, okay, you know, like I'll figure that out someday. That's, then I went on to my 
backdoor list of things I have to figure out about myself that people have said to me. You know, one of the <laughs> one of the other ones, like years ago, someone said to me, oh, why are you when are you going to stop living small and live big? I'm like, ooh, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. I'm like, I'm doing everything I can. Right. Right. Yeah. I'll come back to that because like that was another yes. one of those on the list. Like, what does that even mean? I asked. So oh, my many gosh. People. I just did you see my Facebook post around that? <laughs> no, I, I didn't. literally just posted that like a week ago. Maybe <laughs> I was like, did you see that or subconsciously? Because I asked, what does playing small mean to you? We hear that a lot in entrepreneurship. Oh so yeah. we're going to come back to that. Uh, yeah, yes, definitely yes, come yes, back yes. to that. Very funny. And I actually talk about that story in my first book mm. because it was one of those things that like I have to really think about this. What is this? mean yeah so anyway um what did i do my so my master's thesis was on uh experiences of vulnerability Ooh. and the sense of i forget the official title of it because you know at this point it was multiple decades ago but it was really mm -hmm. about how we have that sense of invulnerability and mm -hmm. how that can blind us to uh taking appropriate precautions yeah. So, you know, so back oh, then, yeah, that was in, oh my God, that was in like 1986. So yeah, literally I was looking at things like walking across a campus at night, stuff like that in the sense of like, oh, I'll mm. be fine because nothing's ever happened. And sort of that sense mm. that people have of the more I do something that might've been unsafe and it doesn't go wrong, the safer I am, <laughs> which yeah. is actually opposite. Because if you think about it, the more times you take you roll the dice and take that risk truthfully the higher the likelihood that the thing that you don't want to happen will happen but we have mm. this other way of looking at it right so we create a sense of invulnerability oh so interesting how did yeah. that show up for you in entrepreneurship uh yeah that's i haven't even wow, that's an awesome question i have not thought about that at all <laughs> wow. i'm like i Let love connecting people's research to what we're doing right now yeah <laughs> like which feels sometimes just like so different well. than the <laughs> academic space but yeah. like having studied invulnerability i mean to be an entrepreneur there's this just yeah. looming risk at almost every turn so i'm curious what you what you think about that based well, it, on what you researched yeah it's interesting because in fact i would say that sort of my one of my life goals so one was to to be in balance as much as i can like i really really mm. believe in balance mm -hmm. and then another was to embrace vulnerability and i'm mm. i'm all in on that so i'll tie mm -hmm. that into for me part of li living bigger is really embracing vulnerability and taking risks so i would have risk, been a yeah. person growing up who had been pretty risk aversive yeah you know so if i did something and it didn't go bad i'd be like okay good that means don't ever do it again like you used yeah like i made chance. it yeah <laughs> Right. That's it's like, funny. Whoosh, yep. thank God. Right. Don't don't take that risk again. And mm -hmm. uh, so not in terms of safety, I, I'm probably still fairly risk averse within pockets like bizarre pocket pockets of, yeah, no, I'll totally do something. And later on, I'm like, what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. Clearly not. Mm -hmm. But uh, but generally sort of in terms of thinking about things that I want to do as an entrepreneur or just as a human being absolutely mm -hmm. have made a conscious decision a little over a decade ago that I was going to be all in for risks mm -hmm. and, and sort of live differently than I had. So mm -hmm. my dissertation was on the process of self-abusive behavior in adolescence. Ooh. Yeah. So I looked at adolescents who cut, burn, and bite and sort of what that mm -hmm. says about their self-esteem and and mm. 
we looked at issues of like locus of control and mm -hmm. their sense of object relations. The sort of short version is people who hurt themselves don't feel good about themselves. Shocker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, if you expand that, there's so many ways in which we hurt ourselves, including oh, this is fabulous, including hurting ourselves by not taking risks. Ooh, like that? How is <laughs> that? It in. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Oh. That's what we oh. do. Teach class, tie it in. <laughs> yep. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Well, so so all that being said, I love it. I love tying in the research to what we're doing now. Very cool. What what are you doing now in academia? Give us a little bit about, because um, I know you and I talked previously just to reconnect a, a week ago or so. So I kind of know in the back of my head, but our guests need to know. Sure. What, what have you been doing since you graduated? And then, and then if you want to lead into when you started to make money on the side, quote unquote, of, of your full-time teaching position. Yep. And so I'm going to give you a couple different stories. Ooh. Okay. So... The short version of my CV is I went and did my, it's like, how do I, how do you encapsulate this? Right. But I <laughs> did, bullets. so I did my clinical psychology internship at uh, Franciscan Children's Hospital in Boston. And then okay. I came back out to Western Massachusetts where I had gone to grad school. And I, for five years, was the director of something called the um, regional program supervisor, sorry, for mm. the key program, which is a program that worked with adolescents. We had what we called okay. outreach and tracking, and we had residential services for kids who'd been adjudicated and kids who had mm. mental health problems and kids who were in sort of the social services system. All of the names of those things, the program still exists, but the names of like DSS and DMH, ah. those have all changed, the state agencies. Got it. So uh, I was the regional supervisor, had underneath me five residential programs, this outreach program, and then I was doing therapy as well and uh, overseeing a specialized sort of school program. So I did that for five years. And then I went over to Brightside Counseling Associates, which was at the time a large outpatient mental health clinic. And I was the director of Brightside Counseling Associates mm -hmm. in School Street another counseling clinic for a couple of years. And then within, they became part of a greater health system, the Sisters of Providence health system. And so they had a inpatient children's unit. At the time, it was a 12-bed children's unit. So they moved me over and I became the director of children's services. So I started off with a 12-bed inpatient unit and ultimately I expanded that. So we now had 24 beds. So we had two units, a latency unit and an adolescent unit. So we treated kids from sort of four or five up to 18. Then we had acute residential treatment and partial hospital services. So I did that for about six years. And that was a really big deal because at the time, that was sort of the beginning of the Connecticut and Massachusetts, what they called sort of children's bed crisis. So children would come into Ooh. the hospital psychiatrically, uh -huh. and then there'd be no place for them to go. They'd need some other level of care. They'd need residential treatment or they need a step down. And everything was really backed up. And all mm. like literally, that's the time when the system started changing. So I stopped doing that in 2000. And three. As it turned out, uh, for a variety of reasons, it really had nothing to do with me, uh, but did have to do with politics. My All of the director positions were eliminated. So I didn't have a job. And I ended up going to the Connecticut prison system. And I was the director of psychological services at Osborne Correctional Institute. 
that was pretty awesome. Did that for a couple of years and I have lots and lots of information about that. Uh, worked between that, which was a medium security and a supermax facility that was mm -hmm. next door, Northern. And then I moved down uh, so further into Connecticut and worked for the uh, DEMAS, which is Connecticut's Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. They had a community mental health center, and I ran the predoctoral internship program at the community mental health center for 10 years. So during my 10 years of running a pre-doc internship program, mm -hmm. I also did the uh, American Psychological Association Leadership Leadership Institute for Women in Psychology and mm. went and got my board certification. So there's there's not a lot of psychologists who go on to sort of do the board certification. There's a low percentage of that. So I did that. That was a personal goal. And I began mm -hmm. teaching. Here's how it how mm. you make the shift. So I was teaching. At, I'd done some teaching early on, adjunct work uh, at okay. different local colleges. But so now I was with mm -hmm. Baypath. Baypath had just moved from a college to university, and I was teaching in their master's program for clinical mental health counseling. And as I was doing that, I just loved that. So I was mm. sick of commuting an hour down to where I was, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to be teaching full time, and I wanted to do other things with my life. So I, yep. that, I manifested that literally within eight months, got the full-time job offer, left the state of Connecticut, and became full-time associate professor at Baypath University. And I'm now also the director of clinical training for our mm. clinical mental health counseling and developmental psychology programs. So we do that full-time, but our classes are in the evening. Mm. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I have a really supportive really significant academic support. And uh, that's great. So I'm able to do really fun things. Our university has something called the Richard Briotta Talks, and it's for a former faculty who's now deceased. It's similar mm. to TED Talks or TEDx Talks. So oh, cool. I'm going to be doing one of those in the fall. They asked me to do one of those. So I'm going to do those. So they've really supported me. They actually, the president of Baypath, Dr. Carol Leary, and the provost, Dr. Melissa Morris Olson, both wrote advanced reviews for my first book on Best Friend. Mm. And Dr. Morris mm. Olson did a review for my second book, Be Awesome. So they've Yay. completely, so, so since I came in full-time academia, here's the entrepreneur stuff, I yeah. had been already sort of learning shamanism and practicing shamanism. I've always had a private psychology practice. And I shifted mm. into doing executive coaching as well as sort of keeping the shamanic work because that's sort of cool. So in my mind, bringing mm -hmm. together science and soul and then Love writing it. my book or books and then doing more and more speaking and workshops because mm. I am really interested in sort of providing the messages of you've got to Literally, you have to be your own best friend. Like this is a, a vital mm -hmm. step and that's connected to my first mm -hmm. book. And similarly, that you need to embrace radical self-care, which literally means yep. caring about who you are and how mm -hmm. you are in the world. And then that we don't have to be burnt out, right? That like, mm -hmm. So this is sort of one of my current things and that's related to book two is we can, 
literally, we can banish burnout. We can harness the positive mm-hmm. power of stress and we can become stress smart so that stress works mm-hmm. for us instead of against us. And so those are the things that I speak about and that I coach about and that sort of at this point, people hire me to help make stress work for them so they can literally start making their dreams come true and see the value of who they really are and live as that person. Hmm. Ah, this, your work is so needed. I know we talked about this a little bit in our connection call too, just about what you were up to since the event we saw each other, which was February. So we're recording this in July. So it's been a while. But yeah, as we were catching up, I remember you kind of just saying what you're working on and now knowing, because I didn't know the detail of your academic background. I'm like, oh, this thread goes deep. Yeah. And it's so important to have coaches out there like you, executive (laughs) coaches, people coaching, you know, solo entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs, whatever language you want to use um, around the stress and the burnout. I see it left and right and experienced it myself, like levels of burnout and recognizing like, how did I get here? Why do I feel like this? This is the hardest thing I've ever done, you know, um, and and noticing, though, however, that so much of that was coming from my own internal, the way I was talking to myself, what I thought about, did I belong here? Like that was a big part of my journey in the last year and a half or two years. And so just knowing that you're coming from this, you know, medical background, uh, you know, neurological background, clinical, I mean, your work is so, um, the thread and bringing it to where it is now, it's like, yes, you represent like what an academic running a business um, can look like and how it's going to impact entrepreneurs. Because there's a lot of people, we see this this messaging all over. And I'm curious what you think about it, because we talked a little bit about marketing too, me and you, about what the promise is being made on the front end about what can be accomplished. So of course, the burnout is happening because the... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the goals that people are setting um, and the expectations that they are putting on themselves, because it's all about how can you do this as fast as possible? How can you make six figures as fast as possible? Who's got the next promise that is my way out? And when it doesn't work, all the blame lies on the individual entrepreneur. So when I think about it from the perspective of what you're talking about, about being vulnerable and taking risks, a lot of that comes down to um, putting ourselves out there, but are we are we putting ourselves out there and investing potentially? Because a lot of it is tied to courses and some some stuff higher priced language around. And for those of you listening who aren't in this space and aren't as deep in it as maybe Christina and I are now, language basically saying like if you don't invest in this, like you don't you don't believe in your business yeah. or you and they and they basically make these exchanges that are almost impossible to keep. And then and then they're like, oh, you can't figure out how to be an entrepreneur. Like you obviously aren't trying hard enough. Or like I did it you know, or like, or the suffer is part of the game, which you would probably have a lot of responses to. So I'm curious, with your research, and like what we see out there in marketing and the burnout that we are seeing that is really rampant, and that I've personally experienced, and I'm still, you know, kind of dealing with on a day to day basis. You know, what are some of your thoughts around that? Well, literally, I have so many, (laughs) you could probably go for an hour. I'll just be quiet. So well, (laughs) let me I want to tell you first a story about burnout from my own life, because I think a lot of times we don't even know that we're burnt out. Mm. 
right? Yeah. So, and this happens in academia left oh and right, God. too. I shouldn't pretend yeah. like it's just an entrepreneurship. No, yeah. no. It's part- yeah. So first of all, here's here's a thing that I think certainly in the U.S. and in many other countries mm. and definitely within the entrepreneur circle, within mm-hmm. standard business, within academia, one of the things that we have as an ideal is I want to live a stress-free life. Or Uh, the converse, something is wrong with me if I can't live a stress-free life. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So I want to start there because here's, Mm -hmm. this is just the bald truth. There's like, I am known for what I call radical honesty. The truth is, Mm -hmm. if you have a completely stress-free life, you're dead. Mm. It is not literally dead, flatlined. It is not possible to have a stress-free life. And in part, that's because literally the research shows us that it's the good things that prompt stress as well as the things that you can Mm. easily identify as a problem, right? What would be an example? So I'm getting married. Mm. I mean, I'm not, I already am, but you know, I'm getting married. I'm buying a house. (laughs) You know, I Mm -hmm. got a promotion, Right. Mm -hmm. I made six figures this month, whatever, like Mm -hmm. good things create stress. And that's literally because when we're thinking about stress, stress is about a shift in both our environment and our experience and our self-perception. Right. So that's, I think, a way to think about that. So when something difficult or challenging or upsetting happens, we're like, oh, that's stressful. And we forget Mm -hmm. that like stress is what we make of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because anytime that something goes on. So there's there's going to be the forecast of rain and you're planning an outdoor party. That's stress. Yep. Right. So like you can't control the weather. You can plan to have uh, canopies to do your party underneath. But we cannot control. We cannot live without stress. Right. You can't drive down the road in any major city and not experience stress. Yeah. Okay. So I'm starting from that place of saying there's no such thing as a stress free life. So that's the minute that someone's promising you a stress free life. Mm -hmm. That's a false Mm -hmm. promise. And it's built on inaccurate data and it cannot be delivered. Yep. And that's why I talk about personally people learning to be stress smart. And to use the positive power of stress and also shifting using the latest research in mindset science. Like there's things we can do so that the stressors that occur by being alive and then the additional stresses that occur by taking risks or challenging yourself don't have the negative impacts on our body and our emotions that they might. Mm. So, but let me go back to burnout for a second. So there was a day, I mean, I've certainly had more than one of these experiences in my life, but when you walk into my house, the way my house is set up is we pull into the garage and then there's a door from, it's a raised ranch. So there's a door from the garage into the downstairs. And just as you walk in the little hallway, there's a table and it's a a long table upon which we put the mail and then junk Mm. collects regularly. So day after day after day, here's my routine. I pull into the driveway, come into the house, put down my bags, pick up the mail and look at the mail. My husband is usually home before me. So I say, hi, honey. We kiss. I, we have four dogs. I pet the dogs. They're all jumping around. And mm. then I go about the day. That's the standard. So sure. this particular day, I walked into the 
from the garage, put my bags down and said, oh my God, what is this mess? What is going on here? Doesn't anyone ever clean anything? Now, Mm. understand, at this point, there's only the two of us living in the house. The dogs are not creating the mess on the table. No. (laughs) Right? My husband comes over. He's like, very cautious. He's like, hi, honey. (laughs) You know, like, do I dare get within (laughs) five feet of you? And I, I sort of repeat this in a really crabby, irritated tone. I'm like, look at this. Look, and you know, and Mm. I don't say crap. I use another word, but I'm referring to excrement. And I'm like, what is all of this? And so he, he sort of takes a breath and he looks at me and he looks at the table and he looks at me and he says, well, it's all yours. Mm. And it really struck me because he was right. Like in that moment, Mm -hmm. I realized, wow, I am being super cranky. There's no good reason for this. It looks no different than it did the day before. You know, Mm. the house cleaning police are not about to come in and like take my house away from me. So there's really there's no issue. But I am losing it on my husband over something that I actually personally do have control over and that doesn't matter (laughs) in the slightest. No, Mm -hmm. it was. And I use that example because it was such a ridiculous small thing. And I was really having an emotional response. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course I had to apologize. I'm like, Oh, sorry. I'm like, um, you know, there's nowhere to go with that. (laughs) I'm just like, uh, I'm going to deal with this. And then I had to really think like, what's going on in my life? Mm-hmm, right. What am mm-hmm. I doing and what am I not doing that has me reacting this way? Because my sort of check in with yourself question is always, am I being the person I want to be? Am I being my best self? Oh, that's a good question. Right? Mm-hmm. So and it's pretty simple. I'm like, nope, not being my best self. Not even close. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. and when something's really tough to handle or I'm really emotionally upset, let's say about something someone else does and I want to be you know, a jerk or petty, I then think to myself, okay, well, you know, how can I be my best self? Because at the end of the day and the end of my life, I want to look back and say, I was my best self. Didn't do everything perfectly, screwed up all over the place, but did what I could at any moment in time to be the best that I could be. And I think that's the most we can ask of anyone. Yep. Yep. So, so that was a moment when I thought, good God, you know, I need to, I need to, figure out what's going on here. And I hadn't realized how, and that's actually when I decided I wasn't going to do the commute anymore because at that, that was a time. Oh, that was part of yeah, it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. It had nothing to do with the mail, had nothing to do with the mess. Nope. Had, you know, it had to yep. do with what was it taking from my life to spend mm. two or more hours a day commuting back and forth. And was I getting yep. the enjoyment out of my life that I wanted? And that's partly where the whole living small, I think, comes in. So when Ah. uh, I I went through yoga teacher training, so at one point during my yoga teacher training, my yoga teacher said that to me. She's the one who said it to me. She's like, well, when are you going to stop living small? And I just looked at her. I'm like, well, I don't think I am. (laughs) I felt pretty defensive (laughs) and annoyed. You're like, I'm pretty accomplished. I'm like, come on. I have a doctorate. (laughs) I have a private practice. I have a really good job. Like, what are you getting mm-hmm. at? And it literally made no sense to me. And so I yeah. spent a number of years, and this was during the time I was working um, for the state of Connecticut. So 
I spent a number of years trying to figure out like, what does that mean? Hmm. You know, and as I would mm-hmm. talk to some people would be like, oh my God, why would she say that? You're doing so much. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and then other people right. would say, well, and what do you think it means? I'm like, you know, that's annoying. I don't do that with my clients. Don't do it with me. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. It, and I couldn't really get anywhere. But a separate thread. Uh, I used to be a real food wimp, meaning they like pretty much I would have one thing at a particular restaurant that I would eat and I wouldn't try anything else. Right. No risk. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. nope. And, and I didn't like a lot of stuff. Like I had a very sensitive stomach mm. and things would make me sick, stuff like that. So I was actually still working in the prison and I had met a woman who's one of my very best friends who was also working in the prison. And uh, that's where I met my husband, by the way. I love to say to people, that people are like, oh, how cool. did you meet your husband? I'm like, in prison. <laughs> yeah. uh, he worked <laughs> <Love> there. He's <laughs> a deputy warden. <laughs> but, you know, it's really funny because people are like, what? In prison? I'm like, aha, that come on. Funny. Yeah. Right. So this is a friend of mine. <laughs> we went out and it was right before, it wasn't New Year's Eve, but it was right before New Year's Eve. So it must have been going into 2005. So it must have been 2004. December. And she was giving me a hard time. We went to a Thai restaurant. I'm like, really pick out something that I can eat because she mm-hmm. she's a foodie and she loved to go to other places. I'm like, no, no, I would have just gone to Friendly's, you know, or like Ruby Tuesdays or something. <laughs> so she, so she's like, here, you could eat this. It'll be safe. And so she challenged me for my for, you know, moving into 2005 to take risks with my eating. And mm. I didn't want to. I mean, it was super resistant to this. And she's like, no, I, I challenge you to do this. So basically, she shamed me into it because, you know, that's what best friends do. So I said, OK, right. <laughs> all right, I'll do it because, you know, I don't want to be a wimp. I don't know. So I started ordering different things. And it like every time I would, I would see this resistance. Mm. Right. So then came the opportunity to apply for the director of training job. And she was she and my wasn't yet, but became my husband, were the two who were pushing me to do this. And I was like, oh, mm. but I've never done that. And I'm not qualified. <laughs> like, you know, you're out of your mind. Of course you are. You know, just think about your qualities differently and, you know, your experience differently. So I took that risk. And I remember that mm-hmm. my girlfriend and I were on Cape Cod when I got the call for them offering me the job. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. You know, I was shocked. I'm like, how could this even happen? So I began to get these little glimmers of living small was about all of the different ways that I hadn't noticed how risk averse I was. Like Uh it didn't really matter. So what if I only ate, I don't know, you know, chicken cutlets or something like that? Who cared, Mm -hmm. right? Like the world, Mm -hmm. nobody's dying depending on Mm -hmm. what I order for dinner, except my spirit stays small when I do that. Mm. Right. So, so that I began to get this sense of that. And then I began to do more and more public speaking. So one year I was giving a presentation at the American Psychological Association. So my husband had gone with me. So we were walking around through all the vendors at the conference and there was a a person there from a company called PESI. They do mental health trainings all across the country. And I'd been saying, Mm -hmm. hey, I want to give trainings and workshops. I don't know how, like, how do people get to be PESI experts? So this was one of those moments where I don't quite know what came over me, uh, but I was moving into living big, apparently. (laughs) And so Ah, I walked uh up, but I didn't know it. it was not intentional. I walked up on a whim and said, hey, so what do I have to do to become a speaker for you guys? And as it turns out, the guy I talked to said, oh, it's not me. It's somebody else. So we had a great conversation, but it 
he wasn't the person to talk to. She came up. <laughs> we literally had a maybe 90 second conversation. She gave me her card and I left. Okay. So, mm. you know, I didn't think anything of it. I got a call from her the next week and she said, so I know we only spoke briefly, but you told me you do stuff with positive psychology and speaking. And anyway, I've got a need. Could you fill it? And that was the defining moment because mm. I'm on the phone with her and I literally want to puke. Like all I can feel is this tightness in my chest and I'm going to vomit. I am. I'm going to vomit because I sort of threw out this idea and here is an opportunity to act on it or to do the sensible thing and say, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. No. Mm. And I say, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that voice again that you're like, wait, yep. oh my God, what is wrong with me? Mm. You know, I, I tell you what, I will never be doing skydiving or ziplining. Mm. You know, there's limits to this risk taking. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I said, yes. And I agreed and I hung up the phone and I, my husband happened to be with me when I got that call and I was shaking. And I said, oh my God, I can't believe I've done this. He's like, why are you stressing? You teach all the time. So I was already teaching at this point, mm, right? And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've given so many workshops, I've done yep. that throughout my career. I don't know why this seemed different, but for some mm. reason it did. And so I really paid attention to that feeling of, I want to vomit and that mm -hmm. absolute fear. And it was clear, like that was a sign. This is, this is grow and expand or shrink. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew fully and for certain what Annie, my teacher, meant when she said live big. It wasn't any particular thing. It was when I'm faced with a challenge, am I going to stay safe or am I going to draw on who I know myself to be and take a risk without worrying about what somebody else thinks or worrying about the outcome? Mm. And so the answer is yes. And that became my commitment. My commitment is to saying yes, knowing that I will, and I have screwed it up, make mistakes, like, you know, do things wrong and look foolish yep. over and over again. Mm -hmm. Because it's only by looking foolish and making mistakes. I mean, what does foolish mean anyway, right? Like if I laugh, mm -hmm. then I'm laughing. So that's all good. And, mm -hmm. and I literally, that's the only way I'm going to grow. So that one of the things I tell my clients is think about babies. Zero, zero babies go from, I can't yet sit up to, I run down the hallway, right? There's a process yeah. that they have to go through. Yeah. And as babies are learning to walk, they learn to roll over, they start to stand, they wobble, they fall. They try to stand again, they wobble, they fall. Maybe they take one step, they fall. But babies, at zero point in time, does any baby think, oh God, I am such a loser. I tried to stand and it didn't work. <laughs> I fell on my butt and good thing I was wearing a diaper because I'd be so hurt. Everybody saw me. Oh no, mm. what are they going to think? They saw me fall on my butt. I better not do that again. I'm crawling for the rest of my life. Like it. Right. The beauty yep. is that babies have not they haven't developed enough. So while they are not able to think abstractly, they're also not able to psych themselves out yep. about yep. creating a meaning to mistakes and failure. That isn't the meaning. Like There's no meaning to a mistake or to a failure other than it's something you tried that worked other than you thought it might or worked mm -hmm. in some way, right? Like if you get really neutral and pull out the judgment, it's a thing that you did that had a result. Yep. That's it.
But we add on the, it's a good thing. It's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I succeeded. I failed. Mm -hmm. And if you look at all of the recent research in mindset, right? And there's a ton of research in this. When we say, oh, if I can't do it perfectly right away, we're limiting ourselves and, and we're judging ourselves and judging our worth based on something that has nothing to do with our worth. Like we're worthy just because we live and breathe. That That's already yep. there. We're not earning it or proving it. And then hello, like obviously practicing improves skills. That's a good thing. That's mm-hmm. not a bad thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And yet I think also our academic system, right? Our educational system growing up is based on, and I think we talked some about this, grades and like getting an A or doing well. Like we have these external markers of success mm-hmm. and we think somehow we put together, get a good grade or meet whatever external marker and do it with the least effort possible and then you're good. So mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have to put in effort, you're not good. Or if you don't get it perfect, you're not good at it. And that's where the stress comes in that we don't Mm -hmm. need, right? That that is not being stress smart because it's ridiculous to think, like think about babies learning to walk. You have to go through a process. We do for everything. Even the greatest athletes with the most ability, they practice. Yeah. (laughs) They have to, you know, Mm -hmm. that practice and failure and losing aren't bad. And they're not good. They're just data. It's just data. Yep. So, so you can tell I get pretty impassioned. I, you're right. I could go on and on about this forever. Uh, but no, hopefully- but it's so important. I love it. I think, well, because, and I'm sitting here writing this down going, I like, I love it because I feel like the right guests show up at the right time. And I was just talking to my husband about some stuff in business. And I'm just sitting here going like, the defining moment has been here for a while. <laughs> Yeah. And it's and it's the decision to like take that risk to make the call. And, I, you know, I would love you to kind of reflect on this as well, because, you know, a very popular question on the show is what what skill sets you bring from academia into entrepreneurship and how it's benefited you. But I'm also hearing how it's holding us back. That's what we're talking about right now, right? Like, absolutely. I, I was, I've been constantly on the search for that external approval, and that yeah. is why I went as far as I did. Again, not as many people do that, and you you start to add that kind of stuff up. And I was totally the student that would get like an A minus or an A with how little work do I have to do to be able to do it, and the times I needed to try. Um, yes, you know, I, the dissertation is one of those times where you actually have to try. There's no little minimum amount of work. Like you have to do it. Um, and that was the time when I really shined as a person and stepped into, oh, my, um, you know, my thinking is advancing the field. I mean, that's a, a beautiful moment in the process of, of, you know, working through your dissertation that where you have an opinion on something. Love it. And that was a really cool experience. But, you know, that was the culmination of my study. And then I, I remember walking away from it being like, okay, I did it. Like now what's next? I'm just like putting the next (laughs) thing. Yeah. And so I'm curious, the part where you're talking about how uh, the negative parts about, well, I don't know if negative, it's, it's just that the part of the academic that lives inside us that may or may not um, benefit us in entrepreneurship. So I'd love you to talk about, you know, how you see them as being parallel, um, especially with your, your research. Yeah. So one of the things that I think we all literally have to do is to be okay with who we are and to Mm. understand that it's our standards that matter. 
right? It's not, it's not external. One of the things that I think is the most freeing thing that people can understand is that each one of us is responsible for our own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Mm -hmm. And we're not responsible, nor can we be responsible Mm -hmm. or create anyone else's thoughts, feelings, or actions. The only sort of caveat to that is sort of what I call children under 12. Like you have some ability to influence the thoughts, feelings, and actions Mm. of young children. But, you know, but they get to a certain level of development and then they're their own person. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're still not able to fully, even when they're babies, you can't, you can't make them feel no. anything, right? So, but you know, people are always like, "What about my kids?" I'm like, "Whatever, I'm not, a, I'm not having that argument." But as an adult, right, you're in charge of you. You're fully mm-hmm. in charge of you, and that's both a gift and a responsibility. And what we do when we have these external markers is we're acting as if we're giving up our power to someone else. Yep. So if they don't think this about me, if I don't get tenure, if da 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 da, da whatever, those are all, they're all just external things. Mm-hmm. So when we are fully responsible for how we think, feel, and act, we also get to figure out that we're in charge of the story we tell ourselves about that. Mm-hmm. And it's literally a story. So I do this with mm-hmm. people all the time because people will give me what they say. No, it's not a story. It's the facts. I, believe me, I've done this. Like I have wallowed in victimhood <laughs> myself. You know, yeah. I, I've been there. And and I yep. say that because I think we sort of like turn up our noses like, oh, you're being a victim, blah, 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 you know, like mm-hmm. or stop doing that. And yet we do it because we think, oh, it's not mm-hmm. fair. You know, there the journal didn't publish my paper or mm-hmm. I worked so hard on this. I deserve like whatever. N- mm. No, deserve your worth is not it's not predicated on whether or not the journal like that's about them, whatever it is that they want, whatever they want, you know, that yep, that's not about you and your worth as a person. So I think that we need to begin taking the facts as we see them and say to ourselves, so that's one way to tell the story. What's another way? Right. If you think of it as a story, what's another way that I can use those exact same facts and say, okay, so I worked really hard to create this article and I submitted it to the journal. They didn't choose it, but now I have an article written that I doubted I could. Mm. Right. I mean, <laughs> yep. it's the same information, but yep. you're looking at it from a perspective that says, okay, if it isn't about external marker, but it's about what matters to me. Well, I'm the one who wanted to write an article. Mm. And if I wanted to write an article because I want somebody else to publish me because I want everybody to think I'm awesome, yep. how awesome do I think I am? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if if I think I'm awesome, how worried am I about what other people think? Yep. Because the more I really am okay with who I am or think, yeah, I'm awesome, I'm totally fabulous and imperfect and good with who I am, continue to learn and grow, then great. You want my stuff? Fabulous. You don't want my stuff? Okay. That's fine. Because it's not crushing my Mm self-esteem. Right. So when we make the internal markers, when we engage in radical self-care, when we become our own best friend, when our markers are internal, it shifts everything enormously. And That's often, you know, right? Irony of ironies, what frees us up enough to get the product that somebody else actually is looking for. Uh, Yeah. Yep. So I remember one of my, probably the first article that I 
submitted because I was always in practice, right? So I wasn't doing a lot of academic publishing. And so mm. I submitted my first um, proposal. It was accepted. I was ecstatic. Yay, this is fabulous. And I always felt like these are like, you know, phenomenal gifts that I got. Like, wow, mm. who could have imagined? So I wasn't coming from the, oh, of course I should. You know, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. <laughs> I sort of snuck in there. That's awesome. I'm going to take advantage of this. So I did up the original draft of the article and I sent it off to the editor. And when I got it back, so I didn't know anything about this process. Talk about being naive. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't even want to talk about how many suggestions there were and edits and oh, yeah. <laughs> do this and do this. I'm like, wow, are you kidding me? I thought it was really mm-hmm. good. So my first <laughs> response was like, wow, I suck as a human being. Like, I mm-hmm. clearly can't write. Why did I think I was even going to do this? This is terrible. Blah, 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 blah. So I went through that. Then at one point, the editor had said, and by the way, you didn't quote any of my articles from this journal. Blah, blah, oh, blah. gosh. And I was like, oh, oh, then I got resentful. Oh, it's not even about me. It's about her. It's about yep. her ego. Blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Like I had so many places to go with this. Yep. And and they were all just stories. Yep. Right. And and why in the world did I think that I would turn in a first draft and someone would be like, you got an A because mm. I had that you know, prior experience of yep. that's sort of what doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So <laughs> having that. Yeah. I, yep. And, and I didn't know what this was like. So this was another, mm. I'm like, okay. I, so what if I don't take it personally? Like, what if this isn't mm. about Christina, the human and is Christina, the academic and expert academic writer? Well, clearly not. So, mm-hmm. and, and it's only one person. I mean, who knows what some other journal editor might yep. think. Yep. Right. Yep. So I did some reality checking and sent it in and we went through yet another round of drafts. I'm like, good God, these people are really picky. I don't think I want to do this forever because it's not fun. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But this is not fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, I was really proud when I mm. learned how to do that. So I had mm-hmm. an option to say, can I master this as a challenge and then decide if I want to keep doing it or not? Now, I picked yeah. a career path where I didn't have to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. But I could have, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I've been yep. much more practice oriented because that's just where I'm at. And that's not to say practice is better or sort of, you know, more pure academia is better. Uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. they're all fantastic. Like, and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm one of those, I want to do it all or I want to do at least mm-hmm. some of everything because it's all fun. It's all interesting. But we can look at things as a challenge. And so here's what I would, to go back to where you are at, Lindsay, overall, yeah. I think that what we need to do, and this has to do with both our self-esteem and then sort of getting to this place in the world, is Mm -hmm. I think think we need to make a decision about I am going to now, right, and then create a belief framework. Mm. And then we will feel it. And the mistake that people make is they think, I don't feel this, therefore I can't believe this. Ah, so yeah, yeah, the yeah. example is, I don't feel motivated, so I can't be motivated. And in mm-hmm. truth, so here's the science, the, mo- the feeling of motivation comes after both the action and the belief. And, yep. and right. And so that like for any, maybe all of your listeners know this, but in case there's someone who doesn't sort of in short, when we decide to take an action, whatever it is, you know, I decide to write a paper and or I decide to write a paragraph. 
our brain, among other things, shoots out glutamate. And then we take the action, I write the paragraph, and our brain shoots out dopamine. And the dopamine and the glutamate to sort of bond together and make that a little neural pathway. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Then the next time I go to write a paragraph, I get a little teeny bit of anticipatory dopamine. And the more paragraphs I write, the more I strengthen that particular pathway and the stronger that glutamate dopamine connection is. So that ultimately, as we increase the anticipatory release of dopamine, we finally get to the point where we feel the positive effects of dopamine before we've taken yep. the action. But literally, the process of creating motivation is a decision and an action, and ultimately, repeating, repeating, repeating to get the feeling. So it's decide, act, decide, act, decide, act, decide, act, finally, feel, and then that keeps you deciding and acting. Mm -hmm. Love it. So... Right. So when you think about, okay, I'm at that place and what do I do? It's like, okay, I have to make a decision that I'm yep. going to, I am going to embrace this belief mm. and I'm going to, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to embrace the belief. This is, this is the thing I'm going to do, whatever it is. Right. So it can be the, a particular business decision or it can be, I'm not going to mm-hmm. live small. What I decided, mm-hmm. so for me, 2018, the intention that I set, because I like intentions, right? Not resolutions, because I can keep to my intentions and come back to them when I screw them up horribly. So my intention was I'm going to embrace creativity, which really meant I don't draw well, and I'm going to deal with my belief that I'm not a creative person. Mm-hmm. And right, so there, there's so many ways to unpack that. Like, oh my god, I'm really good at yeah. colors, right? And I love putting mm-hmm. color, and I love stickers. Like, stickers are fun and easy. Mm-hmm. And so I began doing like art journaling. And then, and then I had the big challenge. I went with a friend of mine to a class, and basically the class, the the task of the class was something a second grader might do. Here's a piece of wood. Draw, a, paint a heart on it. That was the task. But in my mind, I was like, oh my god, I have to paint something. Right. That's like huge mm. creative endeavor. And as I waited for the class to begin, my legs started jumping up and down. And I look really see my friends like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, oh, let's get the show on the road. I started getting all irritated yeah. and anxious. <laughs> like, she's like, wow, take a breath. You know, remember, live big, be your own best friend. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, really? Mm-hmm. I don't need this right now. <laughs> This is very stressful, very stressful. She's just laughing at me. She's a fabulous artist. I'm like, yeah, you might think this is funny. Just wait till we're challenging your difficulties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I got the piece of wood. Luckily, somebody traced a heart so I could use the heart, the tracing thing to draw the heart. And then I painted it. So I painted the outline and I intentionally did not fill in all of the inside. So that, right? So there's like, it doesn't make it all the way to the ends. And then I finished it and I was like, wow, I'm really proud of this. Like, good for me. And then I looked over at my friends. I was feeling really good. And then I looked at my friends like, oh man, like Mm. people would pay 50 bucks for that. Like hers was just Mm -hmm. gorgeous. And I looked at them side by side and I started the, oh, I suck. See, this is pathetic. Like a second grader could do it. And I've already been way more anxious than any second grader is. And now I was feeling (laughs) proud of something that like literally (laughs) isn't um, even good. (laughs) Oh, you know, I went, I went there. And I knew I went there, so I stopped and said, okay, but this is your year where you're committed to embracing creativity. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that th- doesn't mean that this is without failure, mistakes, learning, and mm-hmm. growth. Like you're just embracing. Stop that. 
So I went back. I'm like, okay, I love it. I posted a picture on Facebook and I hung it in my office. So where I see my Mm. coaching clients, it's right on the wall. And I will talk about Mm -hmm. that story. And I'm like, and it's purposely like, it's, it's unfinished. Well, it's not unfinished, but it, you know, it's not like crossing all the I's and, or the T's and dotting all the I's on purpose, because part of what Mm -hmm. we need to learn is to tolerate ambiguity and to tolerate uncertainty and to, Mm. and to be totally okay with something that is just absolutely imperfect and appreciate it Mm. for its imperfections, right? What my friend did was perfect. Yep. And I really love my imperfectly drawn, messy heart on a piece of wood. Mm Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I think it's funny because so much of what um, when I think about the parallels of academia and entrepreneurship and where they diverge, like one of the key ones, I think, is there is this element of perfection and external validation that that has to happen. It's like built in to the institution. And so the people who are burning out left and right. And there's a lot of listeners who have businesses to help academics actually get through this. Um, but it's happening so much because of exactly what you're saying. These um, these ideals the, the, that um, people are putting on themselves as standards that are outside of themselves. Um, there also isn't a lot of teaching about the internal stuff for the academic. It's a right. very external, right? And so we, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's, oh, how can I be a better researcher? How can I be a better teacher? But not really, not from the space of, yeah, like the inner work that has to happen and the mindset for both of those things for you to be successful at. It's always perched up as like, oh, some people are just really good at it. Like you right. just have to try harder to be <laughs> right. But them at the same time are making it seem like it's not hard. So then we're just living up to that. So but but entrepreneurship is the opposite, because there isn't really an ideal. Like for me, maybe it's a million dollar business. Maybe. Um, maybe it's not. Maybe it's, you know, a certain revenue per month so I can live how I want to live. And then for some of my friends, I mean, they want to grow huge, like multi-million dollar businesses. Yeah. And so it's, you know, there the target is way is moving and and in academia, it's like pretty clear, like the target is this journal or like working at this school yep. or like, you know what I mean? Like getting this accolade or this. And and so then it's obvious. But I think in entrepreneurship, it's um, it, it, you have to create the internal standard because that it's just so easy to try to be something that um, other people want you to or you're trying on a hat or a framework or a model um, and that's where the burnout comes from is because you're actually not like looking at what you want right. from your business. Right. And that's that piece, yeah. right, that we were saying before mm-hmm. about how it's all the fault of the client if they don't get it, you know. And yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it makes like, me so. No. I heard someone say that yeah. yesterday at a meeting I was at. Yeah. I, I mean, yep. okay. So, yes. To a degree, like there's <laughs> some truth that like, <laughs> yeah. if a person mm-hmm. says, all I do is buy courses or buy coaching and never take action, then yeah, I mean, that's on them because they're mm-hmm. responsible for that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, and this is where I think academics have such a plus in terms of entrepreneurship, yeah. because we are steeped in the literature, the data, the scientific process, analysis, mm. like that what we're expert at is understanding how to go deep, go broad and apply it to novel situations, right? That we yep. think in terms of hypothesis generation and testing. And 
that's why I think we bring something very different to, let's say, when I think about my coaching, than person X who's had a personal experience, figured out a way to deal with that experience, mm-hmm. and now says, this will work for you. And and it mm-hmm. may work for you if you are the same as person X, you know, and your internal yep. state is the same and your external circumstances are the same. But if you're not, then where's the science? Where's the re- research? Mm-hmm. Where's the data and the evidence, right, that says, hey, here's a way that I can, I have the skills and the competencies to help you. And oftentimes I think people say, oh, well, I've gotten really good results with all of these people. And I think that's fabulous. And then I wonder, how do they know <laughs> that they got those results? Like, how do they know what it is oh, that got those big. results? Mm-hmm. Was what it part of what they right. did? Was it mm-hmm. their method? Was it their manner of engaging mm-hmm. them? Was it mm-hmm. the amount of money that it cost? I mean, look, I tried mm-hmm. to write a book for a lot of years. And my first book I wrote using a coach in a coaching program that cost me a ton of money. And you, I was damn certain I was not going <laughs> to lose the money like that. And sure. But I knew myself. I knew that would be a really good motivator. I also yeah. got fabulous coaching and really good direction and a framework that fit me very, very well. Mm-hmm. But I I went in as a knowledgeable consumer saying, yeah, you know, I've got to have skin in the game. It, it's got to really yep. cost me. And, and that's even one of the things when I do my psychotherapy, you know, there are some people who, as we've, and I've talked with clients about this, both coaching clients and some psychotherapy clients, because when you can use insurance and pay a $20 copay, sometimes you're not working as hard, mm-hmm. right? And when you have to sort of pony up some of your own money and say, no, I really want this to change. I'm not saying that's the only yep. factor, but no, that's a place where I can look at the things that I've, you know, made a relatively small investment in and the things I've made a bigger investment in, well, the the more the investment, the more I felt a personal responsibility to get value Mm. from it. And Mm -hmm. so it's this combination, I think, of making certain that the person you're hiring has value to give you, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's, I think, Mm -hmm. something that's often missing. And then your side is making certain that that you're going to give yourself the chance to get the value out of it that you can. And, you know, Mm. Sometimes so, and I've seen that in therapy. I mean, I've definitely sure. had conversations with people where we said, you know, looking back, it, and we've tried different approaches and things like that. And the person said, "Yeah, you know what? If I like, if I really wanted, I said I wanted it to change, but if I really was all in on changing, not everything, right? This is certain circumstances. I'm not saying this across the board, but I definitely." think of people who have sort of said, yeah, if I was really ready to make the change, then I would have just paid the money and made the change. Like, right. Mm. Yeah. Yep. You know, and yeah, there's guidance and support. Like there's very important, legitimate and real information that exists in the world that can help people learn some of the things that they want to learn or, you know, and make differences in their life. Like it is absolutely true that your life can be different than it is. And Mm -hmm. it's not just because you happened to figure something out. Like there's, that's what I love about academia. Like there's science. Yay. There's science. (laughs) I feel like that's how I should open every episode. There's science. I don't know. Maybe. Mm. (laughs) I feel that Um, way. Or, yeah, I mean, it's true. And I, I think it's interesting because so much of, um, 
I've talked about this so many times and sometimes I feel like I'm just like preaching to the choir that listens to this, but I want people to know what is out there. Um, if they haven't ventured into this, you know, digital online entrepreneurs like space where you're getting money for services and yeah, outside of the academy. But what I, I there's just such a anti-credential like language mm -hmm. around. Um, I met someone last night who's very successful um, by monetary standards and he dropped out of college. He got kicked out and we, we went to the same school, um, San Diego State actually for my undergrad. And because um, we're in San Diego and he's a local entrepreneur and he was talking about how he got kicked out of school. And I was like, Oh, and he's sitting here and here I am being like, oh, the professor who's like in in like entrepreneurship. And part of me is just like, oh, yeah, they think they can do anything and they don't need college. Mm. And I'm fine with that to an extent. But there's this weird part of this of this space like you were basically highlighting and which is there's some people who tried some things and it worked and then they want other people to to basically replicate it and they're selling the replication um but from an academic perspective from a research perspective it's like not replicatable because you're bringing in all the other variables that possibly were happening and people then then is couched in okay well if it's valuable enough, I will price it at this level and you have to engage. And if you engage, you will get X result. And sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. And so exactly. I don't know, part of me is like our, our, you know, duty as academics in this space is to remind people about why, like, why theory and methods and, um, you know, uh, you know, replicability, that's not a word, but it can be yes. <laughs> why we invent words as academics all yeah. the time, but like why that's all really important. Right. And so, um, it doesn't mean that you can't get someone a result, um, out of pure, just like cheerleading and motivation because they made that decision, which is what you're bringing up, right? Yep. You can decide to go, I'm going all in on this. And even if Sally did it, I'm going to do it the best I can. That action is feeding that dopamine and like exactly what you're talking about, right? Yep. So it's not that it's not going to work, but it's, hey, we might actually be able to do it better because there's some research and evidence and mounds of, you know, years of data in some cases that show how we can help people in a better way. But that's the funny part is because I've been told multiple times about putting doctor in front of my name. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this too. A lot of people are like, no one cares. Like I've had multiple <laughs> people say that to me. And I think in my first year in business, I really felt like no one cared. And I never talked about it. I talked about me being a professor. It was part of my brand. But uh, there was something that felt like no one really cares what my background in research is. They cared that I was in a classroom, though, because of the business that I built. So, um, but do you do you get advice from other marketers and and business folks having been in you know in this space for a little while now that like no one cares that we have advanced degrees and have done this research in any way, shape, or form or gone this far in education, a system that's failing, you know that kind of language. You know, it's funny. I I've so I've gotten both. I've gotten the, mm -hmm. you know, nobody cares. Don't do that. And although I would say, I think that's usually from someone who is not coming from a similar background. I agree. And, I totally agree. Um, I, I have understood it to be more reflective of where they were coming from. Yep. Then yep. I've heard people who have said, oh my God, you need to talk about this more. And then... Mm -hmm as well in my own head has been sort of what does it mean for me to meld all of this together? 
Yes. Right. Sort of how do That's I. That's why this podcast right? exists. Woo. Right. Like, how do I. <laughs> what does it mean? Right. How do yeah. I think about this? What does it mean? You know, what's the shift yep. from doing psychotherapy to coaching? And what does it mean to mm-hmm. be an academic and mm. an entrepreneur? You know, and like, for example, as a clinical psychologist, I am not supposed to be advertising, you know, that's like so interesting, right? Like, that's just not yeah. okay. You, that's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yep. there's all this confidential. I mean, uh, testimonials from clients right. not allowed. Right. You know, so, <laughs> right. like, so yeah. marketing people are like, go do blah, blah, blah. You have all these credentials. And I'm like, they're not really helping. Uh, you know, so sometimes mm-hmm. I felt like they didn't help because my how I've spent over 25 years as a clinical yeah. psychologist, like my mindset of my identity and what it means to be me and and how I think about the world um, mm-hmm. has also been shaped by the standards of the profession. And so how do I yep. how do I grapple with that? And and mm-hmm. and what does it mean? You know, and then there's the whole aspect of if I'm asking someone for a testimonial from saying, hey, I do this like, you know, academic, can I can I really prove that? Like, you know, I have to be really mm, certain right. that we I can just, do that's that. That's so true. Right? I love that. I love that. Like I have to be def- yep. like, I can't make any false promises. That's not happening. Yeah. You know, and that would be mm-hmm. unethical. Like you're, you know, anti PhD or something. And then <laughs> it, there's just, there's so much to it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is not super necessary. Marketing as anti PhD. Right. That's a product or something. Right. <laughs> you know, because. Yeah. Because there's a whole different way of approaching things. And mm-hmm. I think it's hard enough for people to sort of say, hey, I'm good at X, right? I spend yeah, years definitely. trying to help people say, back to the worth, right. the value. Right. And I'm yeah. good at X. Mm-hmm. So what is marketing? Marketing is selling you. It's saying, yep. hey, I'm good at X. I'll get you Y. You know, mm-hmm. you can do this. And and it's a very easy cop out to say, oh, well, you know, um, hmm, oh, that feels conceited or, oh, mm-hmm. I can't like promise that. Like, mm-hmm. I think as academics, we twist ourselves up about this far more yep. than the non-academic who is just like, yep. hey, it worked for me. It'll work for you because because I'm good. They don't know anything otherwise. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. They, yeah, they haven't. Yeah, that's a really uh, the inner critic, I think part of being an academic, right, is constant critique, yeah. right, that we're taught to critique. Right. And and I like critique, a great critique. It's valuable. We've learned to, I think, from what you were saying, it doesn't necessarily mean failure. It's positioning yourself towards another argument or perspective. That's all it is. You know, yeah. I mean, there's so many things we could talk about around that, but it's it's ingrained in us, exactly. that inner crit- critic. Yeah. That's what our work is based on. That's what science is based on, right? Where can we find the holes in this? Why, why, you know, how could this not be true? How, you know, right. that kind of thing. Right. Yep. Why won't this work mm. rather than why will? Why won't and, this work? Yeah, exactly. It's a very, very, mm. I think, unique challenge for the academic to enter into the entrepreneur world and that we have to recognize the need to shift how we're thinking, right? And, mm. and because we already said that we were um focused on external markers anyway you know yep. it's a it's complex i guess that's the way to put yep. it you know and that's the reason yep. i love that you do this podcast that's and can it be complex and like can it be both yeah. right it can be complex and a valid testimonial, even if it doesn't fit maybe academic standards, but it doesn't mean that it didn't help someone exactly. or that it doesn't mean that you can't use it. It's it's yeah. it's more complex than that. Yeah. 
You know, and that so I love that you have this space. I think it's so important. And that's why I love the idea of connecting with and working with academics because we're mm-hmm. already speaking a language and have yes, a way of looking yep. at the world that's uh that's just trained to be in a particular way. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, you were say talking in one of your recent podcasts about like, oh, you know, we love nerding out and talking about all this. Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. but that's what we're doing is we're also forming common bonds. Yes. Right. We're using as we nerd out. Yeah, yes. Right. And yeah. And that begins to give us, I think, the community and the framework to say, yes, let's take a risk. And the confidence, right. like, and I love that. Yeah, because the um, one of my mentors, and I've been kind of repeating it because it's really been resonating with me, is that we have to protect our confidence as entrepreneurs. Yes. Um, because it's tied to, in many cases, if people, for me, I've, you know, left the academy. So I don't, I, like, my business is my livelihood at this point. And so, you know, it impacts that, right? Like how much money I can generate, like the products, my creativity, which you brought up, uh, my motivation, the decision making that I have to do on a day-to-day basis. And if I don't feel confident, which is key and related to a lot of what you talked about today, um, then I can go, I can spiral those, the stories get worse, what's happening and how I explain them get worse. And so having each other to lift each other up and be like, your work is so important in this space. And while yes, marketing, oh man, it's a, it's a jungle that we're all trying to like figure out. Um, you know, it's important. And is that big enough for us to kind of get over some of the stories we're telling ourselves about marketing? Um, And that's that confidence protection through each other who we trust because we have a shared, somewhat shared experience. Obviously, not everyone had the same experience in academia, but similar experiences. We know the language. We know... um, we know the issues. Uh, we can talk about, yeah, how it's, you know, screwing us all up. We can talk about the amazing work it's doing in the world. Like, I mean, we can go on and on. And so that's the kind of thing that when we tie it to our business, then we, um, we're around people who we feel safe with, I think, is, a, yeah. is something that yeah. comes up for me, secure with, that I can talk about some of the negative sides of entrepreneurship where in some in some circles I'm in, it feels like, oh, maybe they don't really get it, which also may be a, a different story I'm telling myself. Mm-hmm. But um, but the nerding out piece, I guess, and the analyzing and the um, unpacking that we do all the time, um, I think is feeding a, a part of me that wasn't being fed in the beginning of my business where I felt like I had to shut it down, actually, yeah. to succeed, which... I'm now, the more I interview these amazing, um, you know, academic entrepreneurs, I'm like, oh, this is so like people are doing really cool stuff and they are succeeding and they are, you know, making a difference and they are, you know, making an impact with their income. Like that's all super important stuff. Absolutely. You know, I and I Mm. think it's from my personal perspective, I think it's really fun. It's really challenging, right? It's sort of like mm-hmm. um, it is challenging. Moving into entrepreneurship to me is sort of like getting yet another degree. And yeah. so, the one thing that I think that we share as academics is we love to learn. So, if we approach it mm. that way, like, hey, this is you know, like this is a new thing that yes. I'm learning, right? It's a yes. different credential, and I'm a baby, yeah, like right. <laughs> right, like literally, yeah, yep. You know, and then it, that's an easier way, I think, to approach that and to begin to have fun. And I think that's great. And I love it. So Christina, I go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I I was just going to say, like, literally, that's the joy for me is working with Mm. people who 
and doing the coaching that sort of says, look, it is possible to get out of stuck. It's possible yeah. to be the person that you want to be, right? That best mm. self, like that is totally possible. Not perfect because that, that's yeah. not, but best self, yes. To feel different, to yes. live different, it's yes. And there's science to back it up. To, yeah. So then you're really moving people forward. Yeah. And and it's something we all experience as um, as entrepreneurs is those moments of stuck because we hit a wall. It's something we don't know. It's unfamiliar. There's risk involved. The stress is higher. Um, there's so many aspects of that. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your work and where people can find you because I know that there's a lot of people that you can help. Thanks. That are listening. Yeah. So I, uh, as I mentioned, I've got a couple books. Both are on Amazon. Own Best Friend. Uh, eight Steps to a Life of Purpose, Passion, and Ease, and Be Awesome, mm. Banish Burnout, Create Motivation from the Inside Out. So I love they're it. both on Amazon. And uh, people can find me at my website, which is drchristinahallett.org. So it's D-R-K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-H-A-L-L-E-T-T.org. And right, so I'm using the doctor all the time. Like that's just like that's my I'm website, Doctor Christine Hallett. Yeah. So the other thing that I do is, and this is probably so I I can't I don't have a favorite. I, everything's my favorite. Someone asked me mm. my favorite color the other day. I said um, three: green, <laughs> yellow, and pink. <laughs> like really? I'm like I know. I just I can't pick one. So I love speaking. I am super proud, particularly of my sec both of my books, but I love my second book because it's the newest book. Mm. And then I do coaching. And my model with coaching is a little bit different. I told you something about this last week, but mm -hmm. many of the entrepreneurs that I've run into and uh, some of whom are hugely successful uh, and some are uh, whether they're using a personal model or not, but often it's mm. sort of here's like my eight week program, and then we can go even further. Uh, join my back end, so to speak. They may not call it back end, but here's like the part two, so to speak. So let's keep going for a year or that kind of thing. And literally everything about my business is if you're ready to make the decision, like if you're ready to commit, then we're going to do the decide, believe, feel. We're going to get mm. this done in eight sessions. We're going to meet those goals, period. I'm going to bring every single bit of science and soul that I have, right? My training as a yoga mm. teacher, my training as a shaman, my training as a clinical psychologist, as a speaker, an author, and a coach. And and if you're ready, we are going to get you to that place of becoming stress smart, of moving out of burnout, of whatever that particular goal is that you've designed for yourself. And we're going to do it literally from the inside out. And there's no back end because mm. I, I don't want that. Like my whole thing mm. is I want you to be your best friend and go live your life and spread that out to yep. other people. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of data on how we can do that. And I have yep. the, you know, decades of experience in psychological practice to, to know how to do that with people. Yeah. So brush your shoulders off, right. boop, boop, you know, no big deal. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Dust your shoulders. What, what was this phrase from? I forget. <laughs> Brush your shoulders yeah. off. Dust. I forget. Yeah. I forget. But yeah. Right. So it, <laughs> it's like literally like if if you want something to be different, if you really want something to be different, mm. let's talk. Let's make it happen. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. whether it's from a neuroscience perspective or whether it's from a mindset perspective, there's so many different ways that we can approach this, but you can decide, believe, and feel.
it, it can mm. happen. I love it. Yay. That is a great end. I usually I end on advice, but I feel like your episode <laughs> woven through storytelling and all of that was just built. Like, I feel like I was coached and I'm walking away from this being like, dude, it's on. Fabulous. <laughs> so, That's the point. Um, yeah. Right? Unless you have any final words of like advice for people starting their, their business or getting online, um, feel free to share them oh, with us. But otherwise, uh, let me tell you, it's pretty good. Let me tell you one other thing. Yeah. So because I do this speaking, sure, uh, I've literally gave a talk recently. And in as I was going to give the talk, I came up with an acronym that I thought was super helpful. Mm. So I want to share this with people because it's like anytime I hear new research or come up with something new, I'm like, everyone has to know. Then we everyone right? must know. <laughs> share the info. Right. So I, I do that with yeah. books I read all the time. So this acronym is called SWAP. S-W-A-P. Mm -hmm. And this is how, okay. as an academic entrepreneur, you can really get this process going. So the F has to do with uh, self-confidence. And it's understanding mm -hmm. that everybody's doing, or not, not confidence, self-compassion. I mean, confidence as well, ah. but it's compassion. So everybody's doing the best they can with what they have in the moment. Yes. So self-compassion. W is worthiness. It's that we're all worthy of love and compassion. We don't earn it. We don't prove it. We just are, right? Mm -hmm. So it's self-compassion, worthiness, and then A, which is ask for and accept help. So we know that when we give somebody help, we feel great. And when we refuse mm -hmm. to accept help from someone, we're actually depriving somebody else of the opportunity to feel good. Ah, yeah, I like that. And then mm. the P is positive self-talk because we really have to shift how our voice is in our head. So swap self-compassion, worthiness, ask for and accept help and positive self-talk. That's the how of how you put that into motion. All of that yeah. is based on volumes of research. Mm. I love yeah. it. Volumes and volumes. Yay, right. Christina. So we can swap this is our an amazing beliefs. episode. Swap Thank our you. beliefs. Let's right. exchange it. Stro yeah. Swap our stories. Exactly. Yes. Very cool. Well, Take thank so you excited. so much for coming on. Um, this was just a great conversation. I'm going to listen back to this one for sure. Oh, thanks, Lindsay. This was a blast. Yeah. I love Yay. this. And really, Yay. I am so happy to talk to anyone anytime just yes. because, right? Like, that's what we do. We support that's each what other. That's what we do. Let's yeah. talk. Let's All hang. Right. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too.